Part the Second, The Banquet, Section Three, of Thais by Anatole France. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Banquet, Section Three. Paphnutius sent away the women and the Greek men slaves, and said to the others, "Bring wood to the middle of this place, make a huge fire, and throw into it pell-mell." all that is in the house and grotto. They were astonished and stood motionless, looking at their mistress, and they still stood inactive and silent and pressed against each other, elbow to elbow, suspecting that the order was a joke. Obey, said the monk. Several of them were Christians. They understood the command and went to the house to fetch wood and torches. The others were not indisposed to imitate them, for, being poor, they hated riches, and had a natural instinct for destruction. Whilst they were building the pile, Paphnutius said to Thais, I thought at one time of fetching the treasurer of one of the churches of Alexandria, if there still remain one worthy of the name of church, and that is not defiled by the Aryan beasts, and giving him that goods, woman, that he might distribute them to the widows, and change the proceeds of crime into the treasure of justice. But such a thought did not come from God, and I cast it from me, for assuredly it would be a great offense to the well-beloved of Jesus Christ to offer them the spoils of thy lust. Thais, all that thou hast touched must be devoured by the fire, even to its very soul. Thanks be to heaven, these tunics and vessels, which have seen kisses more innumerable than the waves of the sea, will only feel now the lips and tongues of the flames. Hasten, slaves, more wood, more links and torches. And thou, woman, return to thy house, strip thyself of thy shameful robes, and ask of the most humble of thy slaves, as an undeserving favor, the tunic that she puts on when she scrubs the floors. Thais obeyed. Whilst the Indians knelt down and blew the embers, the negroes threw on the pile coffers of ivory, ebony, or cedar, which broke open and let out the wreaths, garlands, and necklaces. The smoke rose in a dark column, as in the holocausts of the old religion. Then the fire, which had been smoldering, burst out suddenly with a roar as of some monstrous animal, and the almost invisible flames began to devour their valuable prey. The slaves worked more eagerly. They joyfully dragged out rich carpets, veils embroidered with silver, and flowered tapestry. They staggered under the weight of tables, couches, thick cushions, and beds with gold nails. Three strong Ethiopians came hugging the colored statues of the nymphs, one of which had been loved as though it were immortal, and they looked like huge apes carrying off women. And when the beautiful naked forms fell from the arms of these monsters and were broken on the stones, a deep groan was heard. At that moment Thais appeared, her hair unloosed and streaming over her shoulders, barefooted, and clad in a clumsy coarse garment which seemed redolent with divine voluptuousness, merely from having touched her body. Behind her came a gardener, carrying, half-hidden in his long beard, 
and ivory eros. She made a sign to the man to stop, and approached Paphnutius, showed him the little god. My father, she asked, should this also be thrown into the flames? It is of marvelous antique work, and is worth a hundred times its weight in gold. Its loss would be irreparable, for there is not a sculptor in the world capable of making such a beautiful eros. Remember also, my father, that this child is love, and he should not be harshly treated. Believe me, love is a virtue, and if I have sinned, it is not through him, my father, but against him. Never shall I regret aught that he has caused me to do, and I deplore only those things I have done contrary to his commands. He does not allow women to give themselves to those who do not come in his name. For that reason he ought to be honored. Look, Paphnutius, how pretty this little Eros is, with what grace he hides himself in the gardener's beard. One day Nicias, who loved me then, brought it to me and said, It will remind you of me. But the roguish boy did not remind me of Nicias, but of a young man I knew at Antioch. Enough riches have been destroyed upon this pile, my father. Preserve this eros and place it in some monastery. Those who see it will turn their hearts towards God, for love leads naturally to heavenly thoughts. The gardener, already believing that the little Eros was saved, smiled on it as though it had been a child. When Paphnutius, snatching the god from the arms which held it, threw it into the flames, crying, It is enough that Nicias has touched it to make it replete with every sort of poison. Then seizing by armfuls the sparkling robes, the purple mantles, the golden sandals, the combs, striggles, mirrors, lamps, theorbos, and leers, he threw them into this furnace, more costly than the funeral pile of Sardanopolis. Whilst, drunken with the rage of destruction, the slaves danced round, uttering wild yells amid a shower of sparks and ashes. One by one, the neighbors, awakened by the noise, opened the windows, and rubbing their eyes, looked out to see whence the smoke came. Then they came down, half-dressed, and drew near the fire. What does it mean? they wondered. Amongst them were merchants, from whom Thais had often bought perfumes and stuffs, and they looked on anxiously with long yellow faces, unable to comprehend what was going on. Some young debauchees, who, returning from a supper, passed by there, preceded by their slaves, stopped, their heads crowned with flowers, their tunics floating, and uttered loud cries. Attracted by curiosity, the crowd increased unceasingly, and soon it was known that Thais had been persuaded by the abbot of Antinoe to burn her riches and retire to a nunnery. The shopkeepers thought to themselves, Thais is going to leave the city. We shall sell no more to her. It is dreadful to think of. What will become of us without her? This monk has driven her mad. He is ruining us. Why let him do it? What is the use of the laws? Are there no magistrates in Alexandria? Thais does not think about us and our wives and our poor children, 
it's a public scandal she ought to be compelled to stay in the city the young men on their part also thought if thais is going to renounce acting and love our chief amusements will be taken from us she was the glory delight and honor of the stage she was the joy even of those who had never possessed her the women we loved we loved in her there were no kisses given in which she was altogether absent for she was the joy of all voluptuaries and the mere thought that she breathed amongst us excited us to pleasure thus thought the young men and one of them named serons who had held her in his arms cried out upon the abduction and blasphemed against christ in every group the conduct of thais was severely criticized it is a shameful flight a cowardly desertion she is taking the bread of our mouths she is robbing our children she ought at least to pay for the wreaths i have sold her and the sixty robes she ordered of me she owes money to everybody who will represent iphigenia electra and Pazina when she is gone the handsome polybia herself will not make such a success as she has done life will be dull when her door is closed she was the bright star the soft moon of the alexandrian sky all the most notorious mendicants of the city cripples blind men and paralytics had by this time assembled in the place and crawling through the remnants of the riches they groaned how shall we live when thais is no longer here to feed us every day the fragments from her table fed two hundred poor wretches and her lovers when they quitted us threw us as they passed handfuls of silver pieces some thieves too also mingled with the crowd and created a deafening clamour and pushed their neighbours to increase disorder and take advantage of the tumult to filch some valuable object old taddeus who sold miletian wool and tarentan linen and to whom thais owed a large sum of money alone remained calm and silent in the midst of the uproar he listened and watched and gently stroking his goat beard seemed thoughtful at last he approached young serons and pulling him by the sleeve whispered you are the favored lover of thais handsome youth show yourself and do not allow this monk to carry her off by pollux and his sister he shall not cried serons i will speak to thais and without flattering myself i think she will listen to me rather than to that sooty-faced lapithan place place dogs and striking with his fist the men upsetting the old women and treading on the young children he reached thais and taking her aside dearest girl he said look at me remember and tell me truly if you renounce love but Paphnutius threw himself between thais and serons impious wretch he cried beware and touch her not she is sacred she belongs to god get away baboon replied the young man furiously let me speak to my sweetheart or if not i will drag your obscene carcass by the beard to the fire and roast you like a sausage and he put his hand on thais 
but pushed away by the monk with unexpected force, he staggered back four paces and fell at the foot of the pile among the scattered ashes. Old Taddeus, meanwhile, had been going from one to another, pulling the ears of the slaves and kissing the hands of the masters, inciting each and all against Paphnutius, and had already formed a little band absolutely determined to oppose the monk who would steal Thais from them. Serons rose, his face black, his hair singed and choking with smoke and rage, he blasphemed against the gods and threw himself amongst the assailants, behind whom the beggars crawled, shaking their crutches. Paphnutius was soon enclosed in a circle of menacing fists, raised sticks, and cries of death. To the ravens with the monk, to the ravens! No, throw him in the fire, burn him alive! Seizing his fair prey, he pressed her to his heart. Impious men, he cried in a voice of thunder, strive not to tear the dove from the eagle of the Lord, but rather copy this woman, and, like she, turn your filth into gold, imitate her example, and renounce the false wealth which you think you hold, and which holds you. Hasten, the day is at hand, and divine patience begins to grow weary. Repent, confess your sins, weep, and pray, walk in the footsteps of Thais. Hate your offenses, which are as great as hers. Which of you, rich or poor, merchants, soldiers, slaves, or eminent citizens, would dare to say before God that he was better than a prostitute? You are all nothing but living filth, and it is by a miracle of divine goodness that you do not suddenly turn into streams of mire. Whilst he spoke, Flames shot from his eyes, and it seemed as though live coals came from his lips, and those who surrounded him were obliged to hear him in spite of themselves. But old Taddeus did not remain idle. He picked up stones and oyster-shells, which he hid in the skirt of his tunic, and not daring to throw them himself, slipped them into the hands of the beggars. Soon the stones began to fly, and a well-directed shell cut Paphnutius's face. The blood, which flowed down the dark face of the martyr, dropped in a new baptism on the head of the penitent. And Thais, half-stifled in the monk's embrace, and her delicate skin scratched by the coarse cassock, felt a thrill of horror and fright. At that moment a man elegantly dressed, and with a wreath of wild celery on his head, opened a road for himself through the furious crowd and cried, Stop! Stop! This monk is my brother. It was Nicias, who, having closed the eyes of the philosopher Eucrates, was passing through the square to return to his house, and saw without very much surprise, for nothing astonished him, the smoking pile. Thais clad in a serge cassock, and Paphnutius being stoned. He repeated, Stop! I tell you, spare my old fellow-scholar. Respect the beloved head of Paphnutius. But being only used to subtle disquisitions with philosophers, he did not possess the imperious energy which commands vulgar minds. He was not listened to. 
a shower of stones and shells fell on the monk, who, protecting Thais with his body, praised the Lord, whose goodness turned his wounds into caresses. Despairing of making himself heard, and feeling but too sure that he could not save his friend either by force or persuasion, Nicias resigned himself to the will of the gods, in whom he had little confidence, when the idea occurred to him to use a stratagem which his contempt for men had suddenly suggested to him. He took from his girdle his purse, which was full of gold and silver, for he was a pleasure-loving and charitable man, and running up to the men who were throwing stones, he chinked the money in their ears. At first they paid no attention to him, their fury being too great, but little by little their looks turned towards the chinking gold, and soon their arms dropped and no longer menaced their victim. Seeing that he had attracted their eyes and minds, Nicias opened his purse and threw some pieces of gold and silver amongst the crowd. The more greedy of them stooped to pick it up. The philosopher, pleased at his first success, adroitly threw deniers and drachmas here and there, at the sound of pieces of money rattling on the pavements, the persecutors of Paphnutius threw themselves on the ground. Beggars, slaves, and tradespeople scrambled after the money. Whilst, grouped around Serons, the patricians watched the struggle and laughed heartily. Serons himself quite forgot his wrath. His friends encouraged the rivals, chose competitors, and made bets, and urged on the miserable wretches as they would have done fighting dogs. A cripple without legs. Having succeeded in seizing a drachma, the applause was frenetic. The young men themselves began to throw money, and nothing was to be seen in the square but a multitude of backs rising and falling like waves of the sea under a shower of coins. Paphnutius was forgotten. Nicias ran up to him, covered him with his cloak, and dragged him and Thais into the by-streets, where they were safe from pursuit. They ran for some time in silence, and when they thought they were out of reach of their enemies, they ceased running, and Nicias said, in a tone of raillery, in which a little sadness was mingled, It is finished, then. Pluto ravishes Porcupine and thais will follow my fierce-looking friend whithersoever he will lead her it is true nicias replied thais that i am tired of living with men like you smiling perfumed kindly egoist i am weary of all i know and i am therefore going to seek the unknown i have experienced joy that was not joy and here is a man who teaches me that sorrow is true joy. I believe him, for he knows the truth. And I, sweetheart, replied Nicias, smiling, I know the truths. He knows but one. I know them all. I am superior to him in that respect. But to tell the truth, it doesn't make me any the prouder nor any the happier. Then, seeing that the monk was glaring fiercely at him, My dear Paphnutius, do not imagine that I think you extremely absurd, or even altogether unreasonable, and if I were to compare your life with mine, I could not say which is preferable in itself. I shall presently go and take the bath which Crobile and Myrtle have prepared for me. I shall eat the wing of a Phasian pheasant, 
and then I shall read for the hundredth time some fable by Apelius, or some treatise by Porphyry. You will return to your cell, where, leaning like a tame camel, you will ruminate on, I know not what, formulas of incarnations you have long chewed and rechewed, and in the evening you will swallow some of the radishes without any oil. Well, my dear friend, in accomplishing these acts so different apparently, we are both obeying the same sentiment, the only motive for all human actions. We are both seeking our own pleasure, and striving to attain the same end, happiness, the impossible happiness. It would be folly on my part to say you were wrong, dear friend, even though I think myself in the right. And you, my Thais, go and enjoy yourself, and be more happy still, if it be possible, in abstinence and austerity than you have been in riches and pleasure. On the whole, I should say you were to be envied, for if in our whole lives Paphnutius and I have pursued but one kind of pleasurable satisfaction, you in your life, dear Thais, have tasted diverse joys, such as it is rarely given to the same person to know. I should really like to be, for one hour, a saint like our dear friend Paphnutius. But that is not possible. Farewell, then, Thais. Go where the secret forces of nature and your destiny conduct you. Go and take with you, whithersoever you go, the good wishes of Nicias. I know that it is mere foolishness, but can I give you anything more than barren regrets and vain wishes in payment for the delicious illusions which once enveloped me when I was in your arms, and of which only the shadow now remains to me? Farewell, my benefactress. Farewell, goodness that is ignorant of its own existence, mysterious virtue, joy of men. Farewell to the most adorable of the images that nature has ever thrown, for some unknown reason, on the face of this deceptive world. Whilst he spoke, deep wrath had been brewing in the monk's heart, and now it broke forth in imprecations. Avaunt, cursed wretch, I scorn thee and hate thee. Go, child of hell, a thousand times worse than those poor lost ones who just now threw stones and insults at me. They knew not what they did, and the grace of God I implored for them may some day descend into their hearts. But thou detestable Nicias, thou art but a perfidious venom and a bitter poison. Thy mouth breathes despair and death. One of thy smiles contains more blasphemy than issues in a century from the smoking lips of Satan. Avaunt, backslider! Nicias looked at him. Farewell, my brother, he said, and may you preserve until your life's end your store of faith, hate, and love. Farewell, Thais, it is in vain that you will forget me, because I shall ever remember you. On quitting them, he walked thoughtfully through the winding streets in the vicinity of the great cemetery of Alexandria, which are peopled by the makers of funeral urns. Their shops were full of clay figures painted in bright colors and representing gods and goddesses, mimes, women's, winged spirits, etc. 
such as were usually buried with the dead. He fancied that perhaps some of the little images which he saw there might be the companions of his eternal sleep. And it seemed to him that a little Eros, with its tunic tucked up, laughed at him mockingly. He looked forward to his death, and the idea was painful to him. To cure his sadness he tried to philosophize, and reasoned thus. Assuredly, he said to himself, time has no reality. It is a simple illusion in our minds. Then, if it does not exist, how can it bring death to me? Does that mean that I shall live forever? No, but I conclude therefrom that my death is, always has been, as it always will be. I do not feel it yet, but it is in me, and I ought not to fear it for it would be folly to dread the coming of that which has arrived it exists like the last page of a book i read and have not finished this argument occupied him all the rest of the way but without making him more cheerful and his mind was filled with dismal thoughts when he arrived at the door of his house and heard the merry laughter of crobiel and myrtle who were playing at tennis whilst they were waiting for him Paphnutius and Thais left the city by the gate of the moon and followed the coast. Woman, said the monk, all that great blue sea could not wash away thy pollutions. He spoke with scorn and anger. More filthy than a bitch or a sow thou hast prostituted to pagans and infidels a body which the eternal had intended for a tabernacle and thy impurities are such that now that thou knowest the truth thou canst not unite thy lips or join thy hands without a horror of thyself rising in thy heart she followed him meekly over stony roads under a burning sun her knees ached with fatigue and her throat was parched with thirst. But, far from feeling any of the pity which softens the hearts of the profane, Paphnutius rejoiced at these propitiatory sufferings of the flesh which had so sinned. So infuriated was he with holy zeal that he would have liked to cut with rods the body that had preserved its beauty as a shining witness to its infamy. His meditations augmented his pious fury, and remembering that Thais had received Nicias in her bed, that idea seemed so horrible to him that his blood all flowed back to his heart, and his breast felt ready to burst. His curses were stifled in his throat, and he could only grind his teeth. He sprang forward and stood before her, pale, terrible, and filled with the Spirit of God, looked into her very soul, and then spat in her face. She calmly wiped her face and continued to walk on. He followed, glaring at her in pious anger, as if she had been hell itself. He was thinking of how he could avenge Christ in order that Christ should not avenge himself when he saw a drop of blood that had dripped from the foot of Thais on the sand. Then a hitherto unknown influence entered his opened heart. Sobs rose to his lips. 
he wept. He ran and knelt before her, called her his sister, and kissed her bleeding feet. He murmured a hundred times, My sister, my sister, my mother, O oh, most holy. He prayed, Angels of heaven, receive carefully this drop of blood, and bear it before the throne of the Lord. And may a miraculous anemone blossom on the sand, sprinkled with the blood of Thais, that those who see the flower may recover purity of heart and feeling. O oh, holy, holy, most holy Thais! As he prayed and prophesied thus, a lad passed on an ass. Paphnutius ordered him to descend, seated Thais on the ass, and led it by the bridle. Towards evening they came to a canal, shaded by fine trees. He tied the ass to the trunk of a date palm, and sitting on a mossy stone he shared with Thais a loaf, which they ate with salt and hyssop. They drank fresh water in their hands, and talked of things eternal. She said, I have never drunk water so pure, nor breathed an air so light, and I feel that God floats in the breezes that pass. Look, it is evening, O oh my sister, the blue shadows of night cover the hills, but soon thou wilt see, shining in the dawn, the tabernacles of light. Soon thou wilt behold, shine forth, the roses of the eternal morning. They journeyed all night, and, while the crescent moon gleamed on the silver crests of the waves, they sang psalms and hymns. When the sun rose, the Libyan desert stretched before them like a huge lion's skin, and the edge of the desert, and close to a few palm trees, some white huts shimmered in the morning light. "'Are those the tabernacles of light, father?' asked Thais. "'Even so, my daughter and my sister, yonder is the house of salvation, where I will confine you with my own hands.' Soon they saw a number of women busy around the buildings like bees around their hives. There were some who baked bread or prepared vegetables. Many were spinning wool, and the light of heaven shone upon them like a smile of God. Others meditated in the shade of the tamarisk trees. Their white hands hung by their sides, for, being filled with love, they had chosen the part of Magdalene, and performed no work but prayer, contemplation, and ecstasy. They were, therefore, called the Marys, and were clad in white. Those who worked with their hands were called the Marthas, and wore blue robes. All wore the hood, but the younger ones allowed a few curls to show on their foreheads, unintentionally, it is to be presumed, since it was forbidden by the rules. A very old lady, tall and white, walked from cell to cell, leaning on a staff of hard wood. Paphnutius approached her respectfully, kissed the hem of her veil, and said, The peace of the Lord be with thee, venerable Albina. I have brought to the hive of which thou art queen a bee I found lost on a flowerless road. I took it in the palm of my hand and revived it with my breath. I give it to thee and he pointed to the actress, 
who knelt down before the daughter of the Caesars. Albina cast a piercing glance on Thais, ordered her to rise, kissed her on the forehead, and then turning to the monk, "'We will place her,' she said, "'amongst the Marys.' Paphnutius then related how Thais had been brought to the house of salvation, and asked that she should be at once confined in a cell. The abbess consented, and led the penitent to a hut which had remained empty since the death of the virgin Laeta, who had sanctified it. In this narrow chamber there was but a bed, a table, and a pitcher, and Thais, when she crossed the threshold, felt filled with ineffable joy. "'I wish to close the door myself,' said Paphnutius, "'and put thereon a seal, which Jesus will come and break with his own hands.' He went to the side of the spring and took a handful of wet clay, mixed it with a little spittle and a hair from his head, and plastered it across the chink of the door. Then, approaching the window, near which Thais stood peaceful and happy, he fell on his knees and praised the Lord three times. How beautiful are the feet of her who walketh in the paths of righteousness! How beautiful are her feet, and how resplendent her face! He rose, lowered his hood over his eyes, and walked slowly away. Albina called one of her virgins. My daughter, she said, take to thais those things which are needful for her bread water and a flute with three holes end of part the second the banquet section three